Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors. Today we have a very special guest for you, someone that I've been looking forward to getting on the show for quite a while. We're talking to Melissa Morgan, who's the Principal of Progressive Property, a property management specialist business. Now, Melissa has a very interesting story. She's a very successful property investor in her own right. She's been investing consistently since the age of 18 and has put a Pretty big exclamation mark on her journey with the purchase of a Ferrari and a couple of other supercars. But she's a very humble person who has delayed gratification and invested diligently to get to the point where she's able to indulge in those car fantasies. We talked to her about how she got to that point in her life. We talked to her about how Sydney's rental market is likely to play out in the next little while with upward pressure on rents. We talked to her about her tips on how to negotiate rent increases and tips and tricks in how to engage a property manager and work with them as you grow your property investing portfolio. It's a wonderful conversation that I've had with Mel. I've really enjoyed it myself. She's a beautiful, humble person and I think you'll get a lot out of it. Here's Mel. Melissa Morgan, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike. Now, I wanted to get you on for a little while because I see you as kind of a bit of a silent assassin. You know, I I often say to people, if I get really successful, I'll probably disappear or I'll start wearing, you know, board shorts and thongs and look kind of disheveled. And, you know, I'm wearing a business shirt right now, so obviously I've got a long way to go. But I suppose the topic of this interview, we want to talk about your professional business where you are a property manager. We're going to talk about an update on the Sydney market and help investors with negotiating rent increases because that's going to be something that I think is going to be necessary. There's still upward pressure on rents. But I wanted to take a minute to talk about your property investing career because you've been in the game for a long time. How did it kind of start for you? How did your property journey start? So I was 18 and the GST just came out. So the first homeowner's grant got put in to offset that. And my parents said, hey, you should go and buy a property because they might take that away any day now. So that's sort of, I was fortunate in a way that they pushed me into my first property at 18. And then I just, just fell in love with it. So at 19, I flew off to Brisbane and bought my second property and then sort of haven't stopped since. Wow. It sounds like your parents are a drink or, or something there. How did you get into the second one within a year? Did you just see some great growth or did you have a salary that was enabling you to save for it? How did you escalate so quickly? So I borrowed money from my parents for the second one. I yep. borrowed 40000 for the deposit and stamp duty. But they actually said to me, hey, you've already got a property. What are you doing buying more? All right. They wanted you to get one, but not a portfolio necessarily. Yeah, they didn't want me to get too much into debt at that point. But I just saw the potential there. I saw the property was $97,000. It was a little one bedroom and it was renting $170 a week at the time. And I thought, wow, you know, the returns are amazing. And this is in a sort of Brisbane, so it's not very regional or rural Mm. and I just went it it sort of made sense it was very positive cash flow and you know I just jumped in and did it. Now when I was 18 19 I was drinking heavily and participating in my friends egging Jade Monaghan's house Uh, I don't know if she knows that but she's almost certainly not listening. (laughs) What made you so switched on at that age that you were looking into that sort of stuff? I know boys are less mature than girls at that particular age but it still puts you kind of in rarefied air to be talking about investing and thinking about you know I guess were you thinking about your future at that time? I'm not 
quite sure why why or what happened, but I, I did always have an interest in property. Like I always um, was very hands-on and my parents dragged me through a lot of homes when we, they were looking to buy a home. I sort of had that in the back of my head. And because I'd bought my first one, I really got very into the numbers. I, I got very much into the tenancy side of things. And yeah, when I went to Brisbane, it, it just made sense. Mm. So... You know, I think you fall into these things over a period of time. And at what point did you kind of think, uh, if I keep going here, then I'm actually going to amass something of reasonable value that could really change my financial future? I don't know if that was ever something where the pennies dropped. Mm -hmm. It's been just a journey and an ongoing process. So I suppose once you build some equity, then you go, hey, I can buy another one. And that becomes, you know, a great tool to grow the portfolio. But I don't think I ever stopped and went, hey, we've amassed something that, that's quite big, yeah. I suppose. Maybe not till a decade down the track. Yeah. Now you're a, a very humble person and which makes me kind of think like probably never see you on Instagram because those people don't seem to exist there. But you've obviously got to the point where you've reached a level of success that's enabled you to indulge in, in certain hobbies and things. You're into your cars. You've got some pretty um, impressive brand names uh, under your belt there. What, what do people sort of that see you maybe driving around in a Ferrari not understand about how you got into that position? Well, I think they see the shiny red Ferrari and they instantly I think they think drug dealer maybe yeah <laughs> isn't it nice um, that they just kind of think shortcuts yeah, yeah. Or, or they actually think you know you must be driving your husband's car or you know it must be you know family money but mm. they don't realize the hard work and sort of you know that that's gone into it the 22 year journey that's been behind me yeah and would you describe yourself as a as a pleasure delayer yes yep so delayed gratification even though there was no real praise for it back then, was a major thing. Like I've always been taught to sort of save, try and, you know, wherever I could not splurge out on things. So really all through my 20s and probably early 30s, we were very frugal. We always sort of, you know, tried not to take big holidays. I was never into brand name clothes, shoes. So we, we really just, you know, saved our money and put, put into properties and other assets. Mm. And when it comes to getting to that point where you are buying a Ferrari, for example, for want of a better uh, analysis, has that been a long sort of dream or is that more just kind of taking a moment to sort of celebrate the fact that you have had that discipline and you have achieved some success? Like what was that motivation for you? Or was that in your head as an 18, 19 year old that one day you were going to get one? My husband and I were always into cars. Yeah. So we actually met when I was about 20 and we decided to do some grey imports from Japan together. Oh. So I grew up as a bit of a redhead. <laughs> um, and we just got to a point a couple of years ago where I said, well, why don't we reward ourselves? Why don't we get a supercar? Because we've always wanted one. Yeah. And we're at the financial position now where it's, you know, we could buy another property, we could buy put, leave the money in the bank, but we just, it's a choice that we could actually purchase a car. Yeah. And it made good sense, actually. <laughs> it's funnily enough, you know, because of what's happened with COVID, the car is actually um, 
also grown in value. Yeah, your timing probably couldn't be better. And I'm, I'm sure you didn't purchase it thinking, you know, I'm going to buy it for X and it's going to be worth X times 1.3 or something when it arrives. But it almost certainly has happened. So across your, you said 20 years of investing up to the point, is that right? Yeah, so I'm 40 this year. Yep. So I started at 18. So it's been just about 22 years. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a tremendous amount of time in the game. Are there any kind of things that, I mean, you, you've tried all sorts of different ways to make money in property. You've done the, the renovations and the flipping and the development and the buy and hold and all that sort of stuff. Is there any kind of fundamental truth to property investing success that you've kind of gleamed from all of those different angles? I think you've got to love it. You've got to to get into it, you've really got to have a passion for property. That then gives you, I suppose, the consistency of being able to continue to invest or continue to learn so that you can try different strategies. And I think even if you don't love it as much as say someone like you or me, if you've got a team around you, if you've got good people that can assist you, then they sort of help motivate you along the journey and you can't just do a little bit and then forget about it I think you've got to consistently go through and and work on your portfolio and over time it will grow for you and so where are you at at the moment with your portfolio are there any particular goals that you have or what's your sort of strategy now as distinct from when you were sort of building so in the early years it was all about buy and hold yeah then I tried flipping and did some renos and now I've got the core portfolio that's buy and hold so there's, there's a number of properties there around the country. And then I've got really the properties I add value to. So one of them is my own home that I'm building this year. And then I've got a project usually on the go. So something else that we build and whether we sell it or hold on to it afterwards, but at least I'm actively adding value to it. So that sort of helps. And then obviously I've got the business that I'm working quite a lot in. As well. The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Yeah, let's talk about that and and also the other influences you've had. So your husband's a mortgage broker, you've had a corporate career, you are a property manager, you've also got a resume that makes me nervous, Bachelor of Science, Honours, Master of Commerce, a Graduate Certificate Applied Finance, on top of the real estate qualifications there. How important is it for you to sort of have that kind of technical knowledge and, and that broad sort of educational influence Influence, or, or do you think that you could have done sort of similar without that level of academia? That's a good question. Um, I think that there's always aspects of it that come into play, even if it's not the knowledge itself, but just the sort of way of uh, analysing a, a problem or solving, you know, finding a solution. But some of it has been good in terms of, you know, understanding how a commercial property is valued, even though I don't need to value it. It's just if I come across something, I've got that insight and that understanding. You know, you never know bits and pieces sort of pop in along the way. I wouldn't say though that it's essential to be where I am to have had that background. Yeah. It's just 
just happened along the way. Yeah, and you've obviously used whatever tricks you have in your toolbox uh, to your advantage. I know that you're very well connected with other property investors because I guess you found as you were building your portfolio, your sort of maybe circle of friends or family. I mean, obviously you mentioned your parents are saying, why are you buying a second one? You, You actually sought out people that were on the same sort of trajectory as you or at least had the same sort of interest. How important do you think that community is for an investor that's trying to make a bit of a go of it? Yeah, well, I think it comes back to the consistency and the passion. So it helps when there's a a community around you to then continue on that sort of consistent journey. And for me, I'm quite a social person. So I love being able to discuss what I'm doing and and my plans and, and sort of helping other people with their goals. And I think when you've got other property investors, they understand that you weren't just lucky to get to where you are. It's about risk. It's about, you know, analysis. It's perseverance and and delayed gratification to get to where you are. I remember hearing, I won't mention the name, but I remember hearing a, a property investor who's got a portfolio in the hundreds, I believe, talking about pooling resources to buy two-minute noodles in bulk at their workplace, right? So those are the kinds of things that don't seem obvious uh, as ever having happened as you're driving around in your red Ferrari, right? Yeah, I suppose, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a fairly uh, well-known uh, story. A bit of thongs of short and shorts in that story as well. Let's talk about the Sydney property market. Now, this uh, podcast is probably going to air in a couple of weeks. So just to probably recap, this is recorded a couple of days before the election. You know, Sydney market is, you know, by all accounts, sort of at least the pace of growth has slowed. We're potentially moving into a decline. What, what are you seeing is happening in, in the property market at the moment and in the next little while? So I think the sales market is definitely cooled, especially properties that have any kind of flaw or or fault to it is now becoming harder to sell. But in the rental space, which is where I'm mainly in, it's actually started to improve quite dramatically since the start of the year. So when with COVID, especially Sydney Metro, so the areas I manage are about 15, up to 15 kilometers around the CBD in Sydney. And it dropped quite drastically. And now we're definitely seeing a reverse of what happened at the start of COVID. Mm -hmm. So not only are there borders opening, so there's population coming in, resulting in more demand, but there's a a reverse of the contraction that happened where people moved in with family or started sharing or moved maybe out of Sydney. Now I'm seeing that that's where a lot of that demands come from. They've got confidence now to spend more in their on their rents because their jobs are more secure. Yeah, I think if we cast our mind back to the beginning of the pandemic, and it sounds a bit silly to talk about now, but there was real fear of 20-30% drops. You know, these were the bank predictions and thanks for that, Big Four, you kind of biffed that one. But what we did definitely see is certainly the inner city unit market have very, very high vacancies. We had a lot of Airbnbs that couldn't really be used going on to the long-term market. We had international students that really weren't there anymore. Uh, are you seeing a complete kind of turnaround in, in those kind of areas that were high risk for vacancies? Um, I'm definitely seeing an improvement. Not quite so much in the high-rise unit market. I think it's because a lot of the, what's where the demand's coming from is more from, not from overseas, but from Sydney siders that have decided to improve their lifestyle. Yep. I think COVID's made people think, you know, YOLO. (laughs) And yeah, they now, they've got their dog, you know, their cat, they they want a pet friendly property. They can work from home. They can entertain at home. 
And those are the inner city terraces, the properties with balconies, the ones that have great views or natural light, and the renovated properties, they're the ones that I'm seeing become very popular. That's interesting, isn't it? Because I think with everybody during the pandemic, it forced us to slow down a little bit and consider what is actually important and what we aspire to. And almost universally, it is not a one-bedroom apartment, right? So I think those areas suffered. And, you know, many of us aspired to open spaces with, you know, COVID-free particles of air. So a lot of people moved into regional areas. And I think to some respect, you know, the CBD's filling back up with, you know, a lot of the employers wanting their people back into the office but it's interesting to hear those you know those lifestyle type properties where you can actually have a a good existence and entertain are popular do you see that continuing to be the case and rents continuing to rise in those sorts of pockets yeah i think that's definitely going to be the case going forward but it will bring up the other rents of the lesser popular popular properties as people get priced out of their ideal property but i think if you ask a tenant what's on their wish list, it's always going to be something that's, you know, walk to the park or the beach or the cafe and, you know, has those lifestyle factors. Mm. Now, we're moving into a somewhat uncertain environment with interest rates already on the rise. The RBA is signalling that they're not done yet. Obviously, we've got a lot of global supply shocks that's creating some inflation. We've got very low unemployment, which hopefully will mean wages will come up with inflation, but it doesn't seem to happen yet. There will be some people sort of experiencing a little bit of hardship, but it seems as though the rental market is going to continue to push along. And as interest rates go up, I'm assuming investors are wanting to kind of recoup that with rental increases. And it sounds like with the demand, those are going to be justified. Firstly, do you agree with that ridiculously long-winded statement? And if so, how do we broach the topic and, and go through the process of increasing the rent? God, i got to work out what, where the start of the question yeah, was. Yeah, I know. I, I do it all <laughs> no, the time. <laughs> It's amazing that I'm still doing this. I I couldn't do sort of Richard Feidler, ABC style, you know, quality interviews. Often I ask people four questions in the one go and just hope that they know what they're talking about. Sorry about that. Well, I'll I'll try and unpick unpick that. So (laughs) I often have clients that come to me and say, hey, my interest rates are going up or there's a big strata bill. Can we increase the rent? And I always try and go back and say it's about the market. It's not about, you know, your cash flow becoming restricted. It's more about what tenants are willing to pay and where the market is up to. And now I'm really seeing the market increasing. So there is definitely scope to increase rents. When it comes to doing an increase, I usually have a bit of a four-step process. So it's appraise, communicate, negotiate, and then document. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to go through them all? Yeah, so uh, maybe document, I, I guess, is not necessarily it, important, but the appraise and the negotiate part is maybe what sticks out for me. So we're talking comparable sales and pr- kind of presenting that to the tenant, a comparable sort yeah, of market rent, rent, I should say, yeah. Yeah, so this applies to both if you self-manage or if you go through a property manager. You've got to check what the market's doing. So go on real estate, go on domain, have a look at properties that are similar, hopefully similar locations, similar you know, internally and just get a feel for what similar things are renting for. And I always say, if you've got a property manager and they're recommending a renewal, always check their work as well, because often they can be quite lazy and they can have not done, not done their homework. That is a worry. And, and when it comes to sort of presenting that to the tenant, I mean, ideally we want a happy tenant, right? Because a tenant can do harm to the property just by not mentioning things that are breaking. They can also, you know, be they can also be 
you know, vengeful if if you you're you're slighting them. We want them to kind of, in a way, be sort of happy with the fact that the rent's going up, right? So how do we kind of manage that? How, how do you sort of negotiate with them to say, look, this is what's happening in the market, and and this is what we're needing to do? So that's why communicate is a really important one, and we always try and find a win-win outcome. So sometimes it could be that the tenant is fed up with lawn mowing and we say look we're going to increase the rent but we'll throw in mowing once a month yep so the mowing might cost the owner you know five dollars a week maybe more ten dollars a week yep but you know it might justify a 30 or 40 dollar a week increase and keep the tenant happy yeah so there's always middle ground there where you know aircon is often a big one as we head into warmer months yes the tenants often want aircon they're happy to pay for it and if you can communicate with them they'll often be able to tell you that mm. Otherwise, what I usually do with a rental increase is I say, well, the market rent is, say, $600 a week. But because you've been a great tenant, we're going to increase it up to 580 a week. So you still get that goodwill there and it's still below market rent. Yeah, beautiful. When it comes to investing in property and engaging a property manager, you've obviously got the investment track record yourself. How important do you see property managers for investors that are wanting to grow their portfolio? Well, I think it's... It, a professional in that area so it's sort of like hiring any professional you know someone to service your car say Mm -hmm. you know it's relying on their experience and their knowledge to be able to do their job so I think it's important to find the right property manager but it's crucial in a way to have them because then you can focus on your core job and let them focus on theirs yeah and do you see investors in the marketplace really valuing that expertise or do you have the questions, you know, like this person's charging 6% and you're 8% or whatever, you know, I'm going to go with them or do people actually value it and see the difference? Well, I think they value the service. Well, there's a lot of agents out there that aren't providing the level of service. Mm. You know, they're not responding to emails, they're not communicating and there's no sense of urgency when there's a vacancy. Whereas for me, coming from an investor's point of view, I have a real sense of urgency if there's a vacancy I, I try and keep costs down because i know what how important the cash flow is mm. and what every single dollar sort of i guess matters to the investor yep so it's a real different approach to property management i mean i've got a million other questions that i want to ask you i'd love to get you back another time if that's <laughs> all right mel but if, if we can finish up today with your best tips for let's say a property investor in engaging a property manager and just help and, and i suppose partnering with them in managing their portfolio what would you have for us um, I think look for an, uh, a property manager that sort of has a bigger picture in mind. So they're not just fighting fires and looking at how to fix, you know, the complaints from the tenant. They've got sort of, you know, reviews in place. They're looking at how to manage your property as an asset so yep. that over time it grows in value and becomes a portfolio. Then I, I'd look for an agency where the staff are loyal and happy because if they're happy, they will treat the tenants with respect and then everything will run as it should. Whereas there's a lot of agencies out there where the staff are overworked they've got too many properties and then then things fall through the cracks yep and then thirdly i actually think that the smaller agencies that are coming out where they specialize in property management do a much better job of it the franchises that are in sales often have the directors focused on sales and property management is almost an afterthought whereas there are more and more i'm seeing all agencies like mine where the director the licensee is in property management and then i find that the level of care is just much higher 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, that's that's come up on this show a, a few times before. You know, the press one for sales, press two for property management. I think the numbers aren't an accident. I think that's the way that they're kind of rated within it. Mel, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your story and, and sharing your, your wisdom here today. It's been a real pleasure and I'd love to get you back another time if I can. Thanks for having me, Mike. And I'll take you for a drive maybe sometime. Oh, you had me a drive. <laughs> Cheers, Mel. <laughs> Thanks so much.